These are the daily lectionary comments for December the 25th, Christmas Day. We're going to look at Isaiah 49, which is uh, the second of the servant songs in Isaiah, and Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy according to Matthew. Okay, Isaiah 49, beginning at verse 1. This is the second of the so-called servant songs in Isaiah, the first one we ran into in uh, Isaiah 42. And um, the servant songs introduce us to an unnamed, I'll say enigmatic figure. Enigmatic because it's you see the rough outlines, but it's oftentimes difficult to tell who Isaiah is talking about and when this is going to happen and what exactly is going to happen. But when you look at the passages more clearly, there are certain things that become very clear. And that is that the servant of the Lord is a person, a person that the Lord has selected, a person that is uniquely going to fulfill what Israel was called to fulfill and didn't. Now here in Isaiah 49, it says, I mean, just as plain as day, verse three, uh, behold, my servant Israel. Okay, so that sounds like this servant song, the servant of the Lord is Israel. And in a way it is. But as we read through this, you'll see that there are aspects of this that very much seem to apply to Israel and others which couldn't possibly apply to Israel. So when it says that I was formed in the womb, we can say, well, uh, and of course, Isaiah, Israel wasn't formed in the womb, but metaphorically kind of was. Uh, it's given a, a, a sharp sword for a mouth. Um, well, the word of God was given to Israel, and that was a sharp sword with which uh, she was to do her work. And Israel did indeed say, I have labored in vain. I mean, part of the Isaiah's whole uh, uh, ministry is to talk about how Isaiah, Israel has just been beaten up left and right because of their failures, because of their faithlessness, because they have not followed the Lord and have not done what the servant was called to do, and they've gotten worn out. Now they're in exile. Now they're surrounded by great nations. Now their own nation is just disassembled and in pieces and shattered. And it's easy for them to say that it's just difficult to be a servant of the Lord. We are just not succeeding at anything. But these things can also be applied to Christ, who was, in fact, formed in the womb, who was given the, the consummate sharp sword of the word of God, and who also, as he approached the cross and realized that all of Israel had turned against him, that truly it seems that everything he has done, he has done in vain. But of course, in this prophecy, even though it says, I've labored in vain, uh, we'll, we'll see in a later uh, uh, in a later uh, servant song, nevertheless, he remains faithful. The servant remains faithful to God and continues to plow forward and trust in God. But now, as you read further, you realize that this couldn't possibly be talking about, this servant couldn't possibly just mean Israel, national Israel. Because he says here uh, that he was formed to bring Jacob back. That was the purpose of the servant. Well, Jacob is just another name for Israel to bring Jacob back and to gather Israel. So when he says, uh, 
my servant Israel. And then he goes on to talk about how in verse five, um, and now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. That can't possibly be referring. Israel isn't bringing itself back. So this Israel is something else. He says in verse six, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Well, that is a theme which we hear over and over again in Isaiah, especially once we get to chapters 40 and beyond, and that is the universal nature of God's plan. And here we see that when he says, you are my servant Israel, but then he goes on and it, 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 it becomes clear that this Israel, this servant Israel is not just national Israel. And actually, by the time we get down here, it's not even national Israel because national Israel is the thing that needs to be saved. That in fact, kings shall rise uh, till shall see you and rise. Uh, you are one deeply despised and abhorred by the nation, it says. So this servant is deeply um, despised by the nation. Well, what nation are we talking about? Well, that's the nation of Israel. Israel is going to despise the Lord's servant, but kings shall see and rise. Now, so this, this uh, I mean, I admit that it's, it's a difficult passage at first because you can't really tell what it's talking about, but when you look at it, clearly the servant of the Lord is not just national Israel, because national Israel is not going to redeem national Israel, and national Israel is not going to be despised by national Israel. What this is telling us, and which is developed further in Isaiah and, and completely embraced in the New Testament, is that Jesus of Nazareth is not only a man and a descendant of Israel, but he is also Israel reduced to one. He is the one last and only truly faithful Israelite. And so that Jesus is seen as the one who takes the mantle from Israel to accomplish for the world what Israel was raised up to do, but didn't do. Now, Jesus will do this, not only for the whole world, but also for Israel. He will actually redeem Israel and his salvation will be revealed to the ends of the earth. So when we see the, uh, when we think about the servant of the Lord and we think about Jesus, I want you to think about Israel and all of national Israel and all that Israel is raised up to be and do. This has been given to Jesus to do on behalf of Israel, for Israel, in the name of Israel, but in fact, by only one individual, the son of God, who came into this world in order to accomplish what the first servant of the Lord, Israel, failed to do. So Jesus is Israel reduced to one, and that's why you see in this passage such a confusion between whether we're talking about a man or are we talking about, uh, are we talking about uh, the nation? And the answer is, well, in a sense, we're talking about both. Okay, now we're going to turn our attention to Matthew's genealogy of Jesus. Right, Matthew chapter 1. The book of Matthew begins with the genealogy of Jesus. 
Um, Luke also has a genealogy of Jesus, although it doesn't occur until chapter three. But let's talk very briefly about what is here and why it's here and uh, some interesting things about it. Note that the, the whole gospel begins with, this is the, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay, this genealogy is anchored in true two uh, momentous facts. Number one, that Jesus is the product of Abraham, the father of Israel. Therefore, Jesus is a son of Abraham. Secondly, Jesus uh, is, is anchored, Jesus' genealogy and his heredity is anchored in David, who is the father of the kings of Israel. So Abraham is the father of Israel, and David is the father of the kings of Israel. Jesus is a son of Abraham, a representative of all Israel. And he is a son of David, the greatest son of David, the final son of David, who shall assume all uh, the uh, uh, what what it meant for kingship in the um, in the Old Testament is now to be taken up by Jesus, as Israel reduced to one, and the house of David reduced to one. Okay, so now secondly, note that. Uh, There's significant differences between the genealogy in Luke and the genealogy in Matthew. Essentially, the differences are this. Understand that tracing back genealogies is a very complicated thing, and there are many ways to trace any individual's genealogy, depending upon which line you, you trace through. I mean, there's an infinite number of genealogies that contribute to you and me, or, or Jesus for that matter. Matthew is using... What, what we might call the official or sometimes called the, the royal genealogy. And when you read it, it's, it's clearly going through that which was in Scripture, that very clearly, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then when we get to the kings, you know, David and Solomon and, and, um, and Rehoboam and so on. And it goes through just like what's in the, uh, in the Scriptures. Because what he is concerned with here is that Jesus is, in fact a son of Abraham, and that Jesus is, in fact, part of the royal line of the house of David. And so his genealogy is meant to uh, demonstrate that. And um, there are lots of things that, uh, that, that would cause, well, let's put it another way. When you get to Luke, his interest is more in tracing the, the actual sort of biological, or he gives more of a biological uh, in in fact, these are the people who bore um, uh, Jesus and, uh, and and were contributed to his DNA, shall we say? So that's more uh, the interests of Luke, and so he traces things a little bit differently. Both are real, both are true, but and and they intersect in many places, but they are also very different in many places. Now, here's a basic question: Why is this here at all? Well. This being uh, Christmas Day, um, understand that Jesus did not only become a human, an individual, isolated human, though he did do that. And although that is a miracle all by itself, the miracle of the incarnation, that the word became flesh and truly human. 
But Jesus also became part of humanity. So he entered into the stream of human beings. He entered into the stream of history. So he had a heritage before him. And he entered into that and became part of that. So to talk about a genealogy means that he is not just a perfect human being that just formed but separate from everything else. But in fact, was not separate from everything else. Although he received no DNA from his father Joseph, who was his legal and adoptive father, he did receive his human DNA from his mother and therefore from all that came before her. And so it turns out uh, that um, what, what Matthew is wanting us to see is that wonderful fact, that Jesus became not just a human, but part of humanity, part of the history uh, and the human world. And so the genealogies are really important to, to place uh, a Jesus in that, um, uh, in, that, uh, in that sense. Now, also, a couple of other things. Um, well, well, we'll get to more about Matthew when we, when we come back uh, to, uh, uh, to the birth narrative according to uh, St. Matthew tomorrow. But that's enough for today, and Merry Christmas to you.